This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ronald takes the snap, looks left under pressure. Bullets one over the middle, and he's got Crowder. Up the 10, cuts it back, at the 5, goal line! Sam Darnold did it again! Jones, that's a takeaway! Bradley McDougal. And welcome back to another episode of the Cooler Jets podcast. We're your host, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. The New York Jets are 15 days away from their week one game against the Buffalo Bills, and that just seems crazy to think about. It does not feel like we're that close to football. Um, before we hop into the podcast, Michael, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Like you said, only 15 days away and, you know, less than that to the actual season opener with Houston and Kansas City. It's going to be so good to have football back. And, you know, the fact that yesterday – uh, well, today when we're recording this, but uh, August 28th was supposed to be the third preseason game against Pittsburgh. We should have so many reps in with all these rookies and these new additions, so many hot takes based on who's playing well, who's not playing well. Uh, but we're still stuck with going off of the tweets here in late August into early September. So uh, I'm excited to see some real football in it. And it's going to be so wild, the fact that the season opener is going to be the first time we see so many of these players in a Jets uniform. So uh, it's going to be really wild, but exciting at the same time to see uh, all this coming together at once. Yeah, I do believe the Jets have a scrimmage on Sunday at MetLife Stadium. So that'll be a little bit more official than the training camp scrimmages and regular practices that we've had up until this point. But you're right. I mean, week one against Buffalo, it's going to be completely a completely different feeling than years past. Uh, all the new faces, you know, trying to watch the young players and the offensive line gel. Um, it, it's, it's going to be a challenge for the Jets. And why don't we hop into that uh, first? Because it's probably my biggest concern about the Jets is they're pretty banged up right now. And, and look, there are a few big players that are still uh, yet to practice. Denzel Mims, Avery Williamson, Pierre Desir. I mean, Brian Poole, I think he may have had practice the first practice. Perriman hasn't practiced in a week, but I think he's supposed to practice uh, by the time you're listening to this. Uh, so just – quite a few starters that have yet to hit the practice field or have only seen it in limited action. And we're supposed to be playing football in 16 days, 15 days, actually. So Michael, how worried are you, would you say for, for week one in Buffalo, just considering the lack of reps for a lot of key players uh, for this Jets team? Yeah, I think it's definitely a legitimate concern. It already is uh, for teams like the Jets that have had so much turnover a lot of new faces, those teams, it, it, they were already going to be at a disadvantage 
considering how much gelling they have to do in such a short amount of time with no preseason reps. Um, so it was already going to be tough for them. And the fact that a lot of uh, the key players that they need out there have been banged up, especially at receiver. You mentioned a couple of the corners with Poole and Desir. Um, a lot of key injuries at uh, important spots where the Jets are, again, have a lot of turnover or trying to uh, acclimate some new faces. So it's definitely a question mark, I think. But at the same time, there are uh, most of the teams in the league are facing similar questions. Uh, but the teams that aren't, the teams that are staying very healthy, the teams that do have a lot of continuity, uh, like the team they're facing in week one, the Bills, who do have a lot of returning players. They did add Stephon Diggs, but uh, most of their offensive line is back. Um, most of their defense is back. So teams like them, uh, and if they can stay healthy, can have a real advantage this season, uh, considering what everyone has been having to deal with. But at the same time, there aren't too many teams like that. This is the NFL. There's a lot of change year over year with most teams. So most of the league is going through the same things that the Jets are. So it's definitely a problem, but at the same time, I'm not sure how much of a disadvantage it is compared to everyone else because, uh, again, a lot of teams – are going through the same issues right now. But against this Bills team, I think this is uh, one of the few teams in the league that have had that do have a lot of continuity. So they could feel a lot more comfortable with the disadvantages of this offseason, the lost time. Um, so going to week one, it could be a pretty big issue. But throughout the season, uh, I think everyone's going through this across the league. So it's just going to come down to depth. And that's the biggest thing with Joe Douglas um, and his building of this team, what he's tried to do this offseason and what he'll have to do every year going forward as he tries to make this team a contender is build that depth. Uh, so when guys get hurt, because it happens every year, all the time, can't avoid injuries, uh, you have a second, third string player that can come in and do a pretty good job and you know not lose, uh, not lose your footing uh, when your starters go down like the Jets did in the beginning of last season when they were completely incompetent um, when their starters left the lineup. So uh, we're going to really see a lot about some of the depth moves that Joe Douglas has made. Um, there, we're going to see some players who we didn't expect to see too much of, like Chris Hogan at receiver. Um, even Braxton Berrios could play quite a bit in the beginning. Maybe Lawrence Cager even somehow gets into that lineup. Uh, cornerback Bless Austin could have a lot on his plate if Pierre Desir can't go. At slot corner, the Jets could have some problems there. Pool isn't good, although most of these players should be back by then. But, um, right. you know, we're, we're going to see a lot. Uh, the depth is going to be tested pretty quickly. Right. And, you know, up until this point, the Jets haven't really faced any that I can think of off the top of my head. Season-ending injuries, knock on wood. Um, it's been mostly injuries like Mims where it's uh, soft tissue or something that's going to keep them week to week. Uh, but every player that we've listed is expected to be back by week one. I am worried about Mims just because it's 16 days. He hasn't practiced at all. No rookie minicamp, no OTAs. He's supposed to be a starter. Um, so it's hard to imagine that he'll be effective even if he does play, even if he is a starter. Uh, I do think that Mims is going to have a really strong second half of the season. Uh, Odo Beckham Jr., not to make any comparisons, had a very similar uh, first training camp with the Giants. He had an in, he had a hamstring injury. He was out for an extended period of time. He tried to come back too soon. He re-aggravated it, and he didn't make his debut until uh, a few weeks later on in the season. Uh, and when he came in, he was he was amazing. I mean, so hopefully we can, the Jets can get something similar like that with Denzel Mims. He doesn't need to be Odell Beckham Jr., but I do think when he does come back and when he's had a few weeks to uh, get acclimated to the offense, I think he's going to have a big impact on this team. But certainly the first few weeks of the season, you can't expect much from him. 
Um, and you know, a lot of those other guys are veterans. I, I don't think Perriman will have any issues considering he's practiced a, a good amount of time. Uh, and Poole is returning. Williamson was with the team last year, although it has been a year since he's even, he's even played football. So you'd like to get him on the field. But inside linebacker is a position the Jets are, are fairly okay at. And, you know, Pierre Desir is a guy who hasn't played at all, also with a uh, hamstring, but he is a vet in this league. So, look, I mean, it's certainly an excuse the Jets can use early on in their season, but it is something they can't overcome. I'm glad that they are having a returning coaching staff this year. I couldn't imagine doing this whole offseason with a new coach. Um, you know, that's a benefit as, as much as people don't love Adam Gase. I am glad that he's returning for that reason alone. Just we don't have to worry about Sam learning a new system. We don't have to worry about, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. although there's a lot of turnover, we don't have to worry about, you know, uh, the, the organization trying to, to get behind a new coach or anything. This is the second year. There's some continuity there um, for the team. Yeah, that's a good point. And that is something that uh, well, most of the league does have a returning coach, but the teams that are bringing in a new coach, those are the teams that are going to have pretty major problems. I think, you know, it's already hard enough to do that to acclimate a new system, um, you know, just a new culture, everything that comes with bringing in a new coach. Uh, and then to do that this off season in which you've lost so much practice time and you know, the first official game you play is going to be the first actual real game you play against another opponent. Uh, those are the teams that could have problems. So that is uh, a nice plus for the Jets compared to uh, some other teams across the league to have Gase coming back. Yeah, and a little off topic, but you, you reminded me of it when you were talking about the Jets' lack of depth. And you, you talked about Joe Douglas worked on it this offseason, and I think the Jets are a deeper team than they were last year, but they still lack the, the depth that you'll see in a lot of the top contenders around the league, like Baltimore, like San Francisco, or KC. And that obviously comes with good drafting. And we've talked about it, it might have been months ago on a podcast, talking about building the pipeline through a draft at a position where you have – uh, a veteran who plays, you draft a guy in the third or fourth round and the veteran after maybe let the veteran walk in a year or two and that rookie can come in and play while providing depth for the first two years of his career. The Jets have really lacked that for the past maybe decade. Um, but that's something that I expect to improve with Douglas. That, I mean, obviously the, the top end drafting and hitting on consistently on more picks is what I expect from Douglas and competent GMing. But the biggest thing I think you're going to see with him as a GM is the improved depth through those day two and day three picks. Cause that's where they come. And that's where the jets have really struggled not to mention next off season. You know, uh, if, if jets fans want to get excited for, for something beyond 2020 uh, the jets after making a few cuts should have top three in, in cap space. And it's an off season where I expect to be uh, expect the free agent pool to be one of the deepest it's ever been, if not the deepest, just because so many teams are going to have to cut established players, veteran players, good players to try to get under that cap space. The Jets are going to have a lot of cap, two first-round draft picks. So I think next year is when you'll see the Jets really improve that depth. But I agree with you. This year they have better depth, but it's certainly going to be tested early on. Uh, another move that the Jets made, uh, trading for Kalen Balazs, a conditional late-round pick. I don't really get the hate on this. I mean, look, is it like an amazing move by any means? No. But teams – I mean, people on Twitter, I mean, are generally the mo- – most of the people you encounter on Twitter are – Ill, ill-informed to say the least but like I don't really think that trading Kalen Balazs is a season ender for the Jets and that means that Adam Gase is not going to use Le'Veon Bell and that they're incompetent and only the you know I saw that I think it was Adam Rank had the tweet that Adam Gase pays for free samples at Costco or something because the Dolphins were supposedly going to cut uh, Kalen Balazs but you'll see teams do this 
um, where if a player is going to get cut and they don't have a position on the waiver wire where they think they can get him, they'll just trade a conditional late round pick. If he makes the team and we don't even know what the conditions are. The conditions might not just be that he makes a team. The conditions could be that he plays X number of games or X number of snaps or whatever, but I'd imagine it's conditional seventh, um, probably the bare minimum. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a player that Adam Gaze pretty much drafted, um, was solid from his rookie year in 2018. He probably likes him, fits the system, and they wanted to get him. So, and if it doesn't work out, they'll cut him. So I don't really feel like this is and, – and recoup that pick. So I don't really feel like this was something to overreact to. Yes, running back as a position the Jets are fairly deep at and they need help, more help at receiver. But um, I think those two things are, are completely separate issues, especially with Josh Adams going down in, in training camp. I think this is a guy that they add to be the fourth running back. We'll see if he makes the team. Um, but if not, I, I wouldn't be too concerned. Michael, what were your thoughts when, when you saw the Kalen Blas trade? I know you were also a little confused, but like me, we're not, you know, over the moon angry. Uh, like, like I saw a lot of people on Jets uh, Twitter were. Yeah. Like you said, it's reacting to this move at all is just whether it's positive or negative, I think is an overreaction because like you said, they're probably trading a conditional seventh round pick. If he plays a few games or, you know, whatever the conditions are, um, they'd only be giving up a seventh round pick, which is basically nothing when you look at the history of what seventh round picks do. Um, and again, they'd only be giving it up if he plays a few games, which he probably won't even make the roster. And if he does, he's probably going to be inactive for most games. Um, so there's just nothing to react to here. It's basically the same as if they did pick him up off waivers uh, and just add him to have another body in practice every single day. So um, there's, it doesn't mean that they're going to trade Le'Veon Bell. It doesn't mean that Bell isn't going to get as many touches. It means absolutely nothing. So reacting to it at all, I think is a little bit of an overreaction. It's just um, Gase seeing a player who, you know, was there with him in Miami, who he probably likes quite a bit and trades a conditional, probably seventh round pick uh, to get him on the roster. And, you know, if he plays and you give up a seventh to get him, you know, that's fine. You're not really losing much of anything. And if not, you're not losing anything at all. So I don't think it's anything worth overreacting to. But also on the other side, I don't think there's a ton of upside either because he just uh, hasn't been a very good player, to say the least, his first few years. I mean, he hasn't really touched the ball much, but he's only averaged three yards per carry over his first two years. And that's even with almost a quarter of his yards coming on one run. So he hasn't done too much yet. So I'm not sure there's a lot of upside with Balazs, right. but at the same time, if you're there, there's absolutely nothing to complain about. They basically right. picked him up off waivers. And if he plays, you give up a worthless pick. So there's nothing I think to you're, react to. Yeah. Without, you know, this is pure speculation without really knowing about the uh, conditions of the contract, but I think you're right. It probably, it's going to be games activated. Um, and this is a creative way. If, 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 if it's a player you like, um, but you don't think you're going to get, get him on waivers. This is a way to get him on your team in a creative way that probably won't cost your team anything. And if it does, it'll be minimally. I guarantee you it's probably something like he has to be activated for, let's say just yeah, a random, like maybe eight, eight games. games, right? Exactly. Yeah. Eight games. And then what the jets are going to do is they'll probably just have him inactive. And then if a running back goes down, they'll activate him, but they'll be pretty careful to try to not get him to eight games. And if for some reason he's balling out or the jets have a huge rash of injuries at running back, and he's activated for more than eight games, then you give up a seventh. But at that point, that's a player that you really like. If he's bad, they'll just cut him and sign somebody else. But this is a way that, that you can get a player that you like and cut the waiver wire line. Uh, I really don't hate this move. I, look, you, you could complain about Kalen Blage as a player, but the move in itself, I really didn't see. I, I feel like they got a lot of 
uh, undeserving uh, criticism. And then the people who really didn't understand thinking that the Jets were just trading for a player that was going to be released anyways. It's a little bit more complicated than that. So from a GMing standpoint, I actually like it. From Kalen Blodge as a player, I don't really think he's going to do much. But, you know, a young player that Gase liked. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I agree with you, Michael. I think any reaction is an overreaction um, to this. Um, the main point of this podcast, though, we wanted to do some – we wanted to make one prediction for every rookie uh, on the team, or I guess every draft pick, and then we have one undrafted free agent you can choose and make a prediction on them. Just one 2020 season prediction. It can be about their stats, some you know, just their overline uh, story of their season, um, the position group, just something relating to that player. Um, so I'll start, I guess, with, with Makai Becton. Uh, and, yeah, I think that Makai Becton is going to be the Jets' best rookie uh, offensive player. I think that he's going to establish himself as Sam Darnold's left tackle. Um, I'm trying to make a, a more, maybe more of a concrete prediction statistically, but I, I, I think that my main prediction with Makai Becton is that he's going to hit as a pick. Uh, I know he was a bit of a boomer bust pick in some people's minds, but I think after year one, we're going to be very happy with Makai Becton's season, particularly in the run blocking game. And I think you're going to see him take strides in the pass blocking game uh, as well. Um, just, uh, I think, after 16 games are complete, I think people are going to look back and, and uh, commend Joe Douglas for that pick. Michael, if you had to make one prediction for Makai Becton's season, what would it be? Yeah, I think the way you laid it out is pretty good. I think when we come out of this season, we're going to feel good about him being the left tackle of the future. That doesn't mean he'll dominate this season, but I, when we come out of this year, we're going to be like, okay, he's the answer. We know that he's locked in for the duration of his rookie contract. He's going to start there. Uh, and hopefully he can improve to a superstar level right. going forward. But as for this season, I think I think he'll be very good in the run game, not quite to the ceiling of his potential yet. Uh, and in the passing game, I think we'll see. I think there will be games here and there. Like I, the Jets play some really good rushers this season, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Von Miller. So there are some really good players on the schedule. I think he'll have some rough games in protection. But at the same time, I think when they go against lesser rushers, easier defenses, I think he'll clean up against those teams. So I think he'll be up and down in the passing game. But in the run game, I think he'll be mostly very good. And then long term, I, his potential in both phases is pretty much limitless. So hopefully he can fulfill that. But as for this season, I think he'll probably be okay in the passing game and really good in the run game to be a solid starter overall. Yeah, I think the big key there for Makai Becton is I don't think he's going to be a turnstile. I don't think it's going to be something where after 16 games, we're like, well, the Jets has drafted a bust. I think you're right. I think he's going to have some games where he might struggle in pass protection, but I think as the season goes on, you're going to see him really improve. I think he's going to do well, like you said, against teams that don't have elite pass rushers, and I think he's going to do perform very well in the run game. Yeah, next, second-round rookie Denzel Mims, who hasn't practiced 15 days uh, until the season opener. Uh, yeah, I guess my prediction for him is that I think he will struggle at the beginning of the season. I think you're going to see him have reps taken away by Chris Hogan. He might not start uh, the first few games. Uh, I think he, he may even be receiver number four um, to open up things. Um, but I think that second half of the season, I think he's really going to go on a tear. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I don't want to make the OBJ comparisons, but when you talk about a guy who missed a lot of time in training camp with the hamstring and then – is either injured or not doing much of the beginning parts of the season and then coming in uh, and giving that team a big boost uh, right around the bye week is I think when you're going to see Denzel Mims really take off. As far as a, a statistical prediction on him, I would say that I think he's going to have a similar season to maybe a, a smaller sample size, but a guy like DK Metcalf, I think you could see him having a, 
a similar uh, boom, I guess, for, for the Jets offense, like DK on a smaller sample size. DK, I think, had like seven touchdowns. I think you're going to see Denzel put up around five to seven touchdowns this year. But they're all, for the most part, going to come in the second half of the season. Michael, if you had to make a prediction on Denzel Mims's uh, rookie season, what would it be? Yeah, I like what you said about the Beckham comparison because obviously we're not saying he's going to put up Odell numbers, but in terms of the arc of Odell's 2014 season, you know, suffering an injury in the offseason, missing some time, and then coming back and playing well, I can definitely see that happening for Mims. And you know, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I think he's going to trend upward throughout the season. And uh, a guy who I compare him to uh, statistically – for his rookie season is Chris Godwin. He was also, uh, well, he's a third round pick. So like Mims, a day two selection. Uh, and in his rookie season, Godwin had 34 catches, 525 yards uh, on only 55 targets. So I think that's what's important uh, for me with Mims is that he's efficient on, uh, that he's efficient on a per target basis, per route basis, because the playing time, he might not get a lot depending on how much confidence the coaching staff has in him. Uh, if he stays healthy. So he might not get a lot of playing time, but if he can make the most out of his opportunities, that's how you can see the upside that in the future, once he does get more acclimated, stay healthy, um, just acclimates into the league a little bit more, uh, then he can become a superstar. And that's what Chris Godwin did. Didn't put up the biggest numbers as a rookie, but he was really efficient. And then the next two years, Godwin put up much bigger numbers on a, in terms of volume uh, because he got more opportunities and he maintained that efficiency. So I'm hoping that's what Mims does. I'm not expecting him to put up a ton of catches or yards or touchdowns, but if he can uh, be an efficient producer, give the Jets big plays when they do go his way, I think that's what's most important. So I think Mims will probably put up somewhere from 500 to 600 yards, four or five touchdowns. But the biggest key is if he can do that efficiently on uh, a number of targets to where he's you know, making, making big plays on a consistent basis uh, when the ball is thrown his way. So I, that's probably where I'd go for him. He's not going to be a big part of the offense this year, but if he can be a show flashes of that elite ability, then he can set himself up to break out next year. Right. I agree with you that I don't think he's going to be a big part of the offense at the beginning of the year, but I do think that the second half, I think when you're getting to weeks 14, 15, and 16, and 17 – I think you're going to see Denzel Mims as Denzel Mims is the the number one or number two option on, on every play. I think it's going to take him some time to develop that chemistry with Sam Darnold, but I think once that happens, you're going to see him up there with. Uh, just I think his skill set is really uh, meshes well with Sam Darnold's skill set. So I think you're going to see him have a similar type of rapport that uh, Chris Herndon has. Uh, with Sam Darnold, even now Jamison Crowder has a little bit out of the slot, different positions, but I think that his physicality, his ability to win jump balls. I think when Sam has to break the pocket and the play breaks down, he can throw it to a guy like Denzel Mims who may have a, a corner on him, but he's elite. Or at least he was elite in college in the red zone uh, and at, at going up and, and getting contested jump balls. So I think the Denzel Mims, the second half of that season is really going to take that big jump um, uh, for the Jets offense and, and establish that, that rapport with Sam Darnold. Uh, next, third-round rookie Ashton Davis, uh, who's been, you know, lighting it up in training camp, I, I will say. He's got some rave reviews. I know you were a little skeptical on him having a good rookie season. And, again, these are just training camp practices. He may still be burnt toast for 16 games this year. But it sounds like he's doing all right, um, displaying that athleticism. Greg Williams using a lot of three-safety looks. Um, my prediction for Davis, I actually think he's going to have a really good year. 
Um, I'm going to say, you know, when you're looking at interceptions, forced fumbles, and fumbles recovered, I think Ashton Davis is going to have five total turnovers his rookie season, which would be pretty great. I think it'll be probably around two or three interceptions and then two or three forced fumbles or fumble recoveries. I think that he's just uh, brings a lot to this Jets defense in terms of athleticism. And look, that doesn't necessarily mean anything for his rookie year. I think Marcus Williams had six interceptions in 2015 and yeah. look what he's doing this year. But I do think that Ashton Davis will provide the Jets um, a bit through his athleticism. I think he'll just be able to display um, some turnover uh, abilities for this defense, which is something they, they lacked a little bit last year. Um, but Michael, if you had to make a prediction for Ashton Davis, what would you say? Yeah, I'm going to temper my expectations with Davis a little bit. I think that may and McDougald will mostly handle the safety position. Davis will definitely get his snaps. Uh, I think you'll see him probably play somewhere from 20 to 30%, uh, assuming everyone's healthy, probably somewhere, somewhere around there in terms of snaps, maybe around a quarter of the defensive snaps come in, you know, in nickel and dime situations, maybe in the slot sometimes to other times could play in the box, cover tight ends. There are a lot of different things he can do. So I think he'll play um, a decent amount of time as that third safety. Uh, more so than just being a backup, but also being used in certain situations. So I think he'll get, get some playing time. I don't think he's going to put up anything uh, anything unique in terms of numbers this season, interceptions, fumbles, things like that. Maybe he gets one here or there. So I'm not expecting too much from him production-wise. Hopefully in coverage, he can just be efficient there, not give up any big plays down the field, not miss too many tackles. Uh, and that would be okay for now. And then hopefully down the line – uh, McDougal's a free agent after this year. So um, hopefully he can show you the promise, uh, especially as a deep safety to where you can trust him to uh, fit next to Marcus May long-term as the two safeties of the future. But in terms of production, I don't expect too much from him, but on, on special teams, I could see him maybe being one of the leaders in tackles in coverage. I could definitely see that maybe getting seven or eight tackles on the season in punt kickoff coverage. Uh, but on defense, I think he'll get, a decent amount of snaps, not too much, won't produce a ton, but hopefully he can keep the missed tackles down and cover efficiently, especially not giving up too many big plays down the field. Yeah, and look, those turnovers count on, on special teams as well if he gets a forced fumble or, or, or fumble recovery. And I agree with you. I think he's going to have some rookie struggles, uh, particularly in coverage, and he might make some mental errors. Um, but I think his, through his athleticism alone, I think he's going to put himself in the right place at the right time a few points this season. Uh, and I think he'll display that long-term potential that he could be a, a starter for the Jets. But I agree with you. I think his value immediately for this team is going to be on special teams. Um, next, Jabari Zuniga, who I, actually I don't believe he's practiced either with a quad injury, but he's not projected to be a starter. He's a guy that's intriguing because um, when he was healthy at Florida, he did display some very promising numbers. He kind of reminds me of a Brandon Graham type of player, not necessarily going to be uh, a huge force off the edge, but he's a guy that's very versatile, can line him up at defensive tackle, can put his hand in the dirt, can stand him up. He's going to be great against the run, and he's going to get um, some pressures and, and cleanup sacks as well. Uh, I think my prediction for Zuniga, though, this year, I think it's going to be a quiet year for, for him. He may have a few plays at the end of the season, uh, a sack or two, but I think he's probably going to be injured the first few weeks, given that we haven't heard literally anything about him. So he may struggle with injuries, um, but I think he's a guy that when you look towards 2021's training camp, he's a guy that I think you could see make a lot of noise or maybe work his way into the starting lineup or something. But I think this year it's going to be fairly quiet. He may flash a few times. That gives you hope for 2021, but I don't 
expect a big year from, from Jabari Zuniga. It'd be great if the Jets could get it out of him, considering they have literally nobody that can really win one-on-ones and, and get a lot of sacks for their defense. But I don't really think uh, that that's who J- Jabari Zuniga is going to be, especially in his rookie year. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't see too much from him. Uh, I, I like the Brandon Graham comparison. Graham for uh, the Eagles, he can play in the edge. He can kick inside, play some three-tech. And he's always been a quiet, really good player. Doesn't put up a ton of sacks, but he gets a lot of pressure for them. And I could see Zuniga being that player long-term down the line, especially once there's some more room on the interior, because I think that will kind of be Zuniga's game. He, he's not just going to play defensive end. I think he can will be playing a lot inside as well. And right now, the Jets do have a lot of traffic on that interior with how good they are. But uh, I don't think he's going to play a ton this year. Uh, also, especially because their edge guys right now are outside linebackers, and that's kind of how Greg wants to use them. Jenkins and Basham, they drop into coverage uh, pretty frequently for their position, uh, and I don't think that's something that he can do. So for now, I don't. as a rookie, I don't see him playing much or producing much, but down the line as some of those spots on the defensive line open uh, and his versatility can shine a little bit more, then I could see him becoming a really good dirty working player, uh, both on – in the, on the inside and on the edge, but not expecting much of anything for him this year. Yeah. Uh, looking towards the fourth round rookies, Michael P. Ryan uh, is, is a guy who, who I'm intrigued with as well. I know you necessarily weren't too high on him, Michael, but I think he's had a few good training camp practices. And, and we talked about it a few uh, episodes ago where he's a guy that Joe Douglas took very high ceiling player. You know, you're going to get him in the locker room and, um, he's going to be a guy that might be a jet for, for five to eight years. He may not be a, a superstar running back, but I think he's a guy that's always going to be part of the, the backfield rotation. And that's kind of how I feel for him this year. I think he's going to be quiet at the beginning of the season. I think it's going to be the, the Le'Veon Bell and Frank Gore show as the season goes on. Similar to a guy like Denzel Mims, I think he's going to get a lot more carries, whether it's through injuries or just through you know, fresh legs. Um, but I think by the end of the season, he's going to establish himself as a guy who, if he's not, um, you know, the presumed starter in 2021, I think he's going to at least be the presumed uh, key figure uh, of the backfield. I think if Gase is returning, he likes more of a running back by committee approach. Barring a massive season by Le'Veon Bell, I think they're probably going to release Le'Veon Bell after the season. Frank Gore, I would assume, is not going to be back. And so I think going into 2021 after Piran season, where I think he's going to have a relatively strong second half, I think you're going to look at him as a guy who is going to be a key part of that rotation. You're going to bring him in and then maybe draft somebody else to pair with him or sign somebody else to pair with him. But I think the big point is, is that Piran's second half of the season is going to establish himself as a guy who's going to get a lot more touches in 2021. Michael, what's your prediction for, for Michael Piran? Yeah, I think to start out, Gore is definitely going to be pretty involved. He'll take on sort of the Powell role from last year, spelling Bell, uh, mostly in short yardage situations, some first downs. But um, I think it's going to be shared mostly between Bell and Gore early on with not too much Pirine. But as the season goes on, Pirine should definitely get some opportunities later in the season. And a, a guy who I think is a good comparison for him, um, who actually – actually backed up the same exact player that P. Ryan is this season, James Conner with the Steelers in 2017, only had 32 carries for 144 yards throughout the season, but they were an efficient 32 carries, four and a half yards per attempt. Uh, and that's even without a really long run pushing up his numbers. He was pretty solid in his limited opportunities with the Steelers. Then the next season, Bell sits that one out because of the contract issues with Pittsburgh 
Connor takes on the starting role, and he plays really well for the Steelers uh, with 12 touchdowns and 75 yards a game. So do I think P. Ryan's going to put up those, that big of numbers uh, as a start of the Jets in the future? Probably not, but I could definitely see uh, with Bell maybe leaving next season if the Jets decide to part with him. Obviously, Gore's probably not going to be around. Uh, I could definitely see P. Ryan taking over as a starter next year. But I, I think the biggest thing with P. Ryan is that he is – He's a player who does a lot of things at a solid level. He might not have superstar potential, but he's a good blocker. He's got really soft hands, does not drop the ball a lot, very rarely fumbles the ball. Uh, And there's just a lot of things. He Also, as a receiver, he had five touchdowns for uh, the Gators last season, which uh, I believe was – it was way up there among running backs. It might have been second most. So he can do a lot of different things at a solid level, and that's the type of player who – uh, you can have in your offense for a long time and can help you in a lot of different ways. So I think the biggest thing with P. Ryan this season is when he's out there, can he block at an efficient level? Can he keep the drops down, keep the fumbles down, uh, and also contribute in the passing game? So that's what I think is most important for him. He's going to get some snaps here and there, sort of like Ty Montgomery last season. I uh, was that third running back with occasional snaps, especially in the passing game. So that's what I want to see from P. Ryan. Good blocking. Uh, in production in the receiving game. Right. And and the next rookie, James Morgan. And I, I think it's pretty obvious this year is going to be a James Morgan red shirt season. And if it's not, something's most likely gone drastically wrong uh, with this season. Uh, as far as a prediction, I think, yeah, I think he's going to be on the practice squad the entire season. Uh, I think even if Joe Flacco can't play, they, it sounds like they might even have Mike White be the, the immediate backup. I think he's going to be on that practice squad, uh, but the protected practice squad, so nobody's going to steal him. Um, he's a, certainly a guy who, who should be the backup in 2021. Um, but at this point in his career, he's just redshirting. Um, he's a, he was a very raw prospect coming out, had a high ceiling, but he's a guy that needs some development. So I, I don't expect him to be activated for any 16 games. That would be my uh, prediction. Michael, how about you for, for James Morgan? Yeah, I think Sam Darnold's probably going to miss the first game and the whole entire season and Morgan will play every game. Uh, I can see 28 touchdowns, two interceptions, <laughs> Nah, if James Morgan plays a single down, something has probably gone completely wrong. Unless he's just handing the ball off at the end of the fourth quarter, Jets are up 38-0 on Kansas City, then I'd be okay with him playing. But let's be honest, if, if he plays, most likely something's gone wrong. So I agree with you. I think he'll spend most of the season inactive with Mike White starting off as a backup and Flacco taking his place uh, once he's healthy. But uh, Morgan is – very interesting long-term. It, it, was a, it, it was an interesting pick, to say the least, uh, considering that fact that, you know, it, it was a little early to take uh, a quarterback project, um, considering that, you know, usually you want your backup quarterback to be a veteran who you know can just slide right in, understand the playbook, get the ball where it needs to be, uh, and run the offense efficiently. And uh, a rookie quarterback that – or a young quarterback that you have to develop, it's tough to really – ease a young quarterback into a backup role uh, considering that he's got to play to get the experience he needs to be a reliable backup in the first place so I'm not huge on the idea of drafting and developing backup quarterbacks I was not a big fan of the pick so it it will be interesting to see how that one plays out over the next few years Uh, if he does end up playing too much just like this year something probably didn't go well with Sam Darnold so I, I was not a fan of that pick still really am not especially with Mike White playing so well, although that's kind of a hindsighted thing. 
But uh, I don't think Morgan will play this year. But it, it will be interesting to see if the Jets do how they could possibly look back on this pick as a win. Yeah, I think the one thing that I take away from the Morgan pick, I agree with you. It's a bit of a head scratcher. It just means to me that, that Joe Douglas must have really liked him. And I think he recognizes that the quarterback is the most valuable position. And if you have a guy that, one, it was rumored to be the Patriots' uh, apple of their eye, uh, if you liked him and you take him in the fourth round, you develop him, maybe you can flip him for some picks or have a long-term backup or potentially a starter if, if something goes drastically wrong. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you could also look at it as potentially the Jets felt like they were playing a little bit with house money, considering they had three fourth round picks. They weren't supposed to, it's because they traded it down. And it was like, well, we like this kid. Now we can take him and we still, you know, can take, uh, the, the next guy on our list, Cameron Clark, a few slots later. Um, so I agree with you. It was a bit of a head scratcher, but I'm not going to completely criticize the pick yet without him playing a few years and, and just seeing exactly what does he turn out to be, but certainly, uh, the most head-scratching move of Joe Douglas's tenure so far. Cameron Clark, um, who's a guy very high upside in my mind. I'm, I'm very high on Cameron Clark. I don't think he's going to be a guy that is going to play much this year. Um, but when you look at his tape against Clemson, very promising. He certainly has a future at interior offensive line in this league. Um, was Joe Douglas's only other offensive lineman outside of Makai Becton that he drafted. It sounds like he was very high on him. But it doesn't sound like Cameron Clark uh, will play that much, at least early in the season. Uh, the two guards right now, the two guys that are ahead of him, Alex Lewis and Greg Van Roten, are both more stopgab solutions, whereas Mekhi Becton and, and uh, Connor McGovern are long-term guys, and George Fant slash Chuma, Joga, uh, Chuma Doga are guys that could potentially be long-term guys right now are just question marks. But the guys at guard, those are guys who are probably only going to be here for, for one year, maybe two years. Um, so he has, a, he has an opportunity to leapfrog him if, he, if he's really impressive, but – Considering you know where he's coming from in college, I don't expect much of an impact at all from him. Uh, he may be a guy who who plays weeks 15, 16, and 17 a little bit uh, and can come in and, and hopefully he, he impresses. But I've been pretty high on a lot of these rookies, and I feel like I have to balance it out because um, you know there's it's impossible to hit on every single draft pick. And that's not to say I don't think Cameron Clark will be good. I'm just saying my expectations for him this year are fairly low. I think he's more of a uh, a, a guy who, who may flash in 2021, similar to what I said about Jabari Zuniga. I don't think he's going to do much this year. I think uh, it's more about 2021 for Cameron Clark and seeing what he can do with a full off season, the full OTAs training camp, get him in there and, and see if he can uh, steal one of those guard spots, maybe compete for, for a spot in 2021 as well. Michael, what are your thoughts on Cameron Clark? Yeah, you, you really have been pretty optimistic. If everything goes the way that you've laid it out, the Jets should be in really good shape going forward. But <laughs> I'm a big believer in Joe Douglas. I don't know what to say. I, I am too. I am too. But And, you know, this guy is a part of the reason that I'm pretty high on Joe Douglas. I like this pick quite a bit. I think they got uh, a guy with legitimate starting upside uh, in Clark down there in the fourth round. So, uh, like you said, not going to start right away. Uh, and his, But I do think that he will – be uh, if there are injuries at the guard spots which most likely there will be uh, between Lewis and Van Roten I think he will be will get some playing time there at some point due to injury so I think we'll get a good look at him at some point this season uh, the first backup at car at guard I'm assuming would be Josh Andrews and then if they need another replacement they would go to Clark second but I think we'll get a look at him at some point this season uh, you shouldn't expect anything out of a fourth-round rookie from Charlotte. Um, but I think that at some point uh, – well, next year I think he will compete, win a starting guard spot, 
uh, and establish himself as a solid starter going forward. That's those are high hopes, definitely. But uh, I like what I saw from his tape, especially against Clemson. Um, Sam Cernick had a really good article of, of Clark's film in that game uh, at JetX, so definitely check that out. But um, he, I like Clark a lot. I think his his nastiness next to Becton that can be a really good left side duo um, for the next few years. So I don't expect anything this season. I do think he'll play at some point, but he'll probably struggle. But next season, I think he will uh, win that one of those starting guard spots, hopefully the left side, just because the aesthetically thinking about him and Becton next to each other is really exciting. Yeah, I agree. I think the hope for him again um, is to compete for one of those guard spots in 2021, but a quiet 2020 is, is most likely what I expect. Similar situation with Bryce Hall, uh, a little bit different. I mean, he was a guy that really fell in the draft that some people thought could go in the third round, um, and he fell all the way to, to the Jets in, in, in the fifth, I believe. Um, so, uh, Michael, I guess I've gone first on literally all of these, but I guess I can throw you the, the last three um, between Clark Mann and an undrafted free agent. But we'll start – excuse me, Hall Mann and, and an undrafted free agent. We'll start with Bryce Hall. Um, what's a prediction you have for, for his 2020 season? Another guy who was drafted, but not really expected to have a huge 2020, but look at that cornerback position. You look at some of the injuries they've had there. Hall was just recently activated a few days ago off the, the reserve COVID list. So, uh, and I know he's still rehabbing from his, from his injury, but he should be a guy that should be able to practice in a few weeks. Do you have any predictions on, on Bryce Hall's, uh, 2020 season? Do you think he makes an impact? Um, just your overall thoughts. Well, I think the obvious optimistic uh, kind of outline is what Bless Austin did last season, you know, missing all of the offseason, taking his time to heal from a previous injury, and then coming in and playing really well. Uh, that's obviously the optimistic path. Uh, but even though Austin did it last season, that was – and this just goes to how impressive it is what Austin did for them last year. That is a really hard thing to do to as a rookie cornerback – uh, to play well as a rookie cornerback, period, is hard. But to do it after missing so much time in the offseason and as a later-round pick that, you know, has a harder road to earning confidence from the coaching staff and probably isn't uh, about as good as some of the higher picks, uh, it's an extremely hard thing to do. So it goes back to how impressive Austin's season last year was and how good he could be. Uh, but in terms of Hall, I think most likely he's not going to play a lot this year. Um, if he does the bless Austin, takes the bless Austin path, that'd be great. But I think the most likely scenario is that we don't see a ton of him this year, but cornerback does appear to be pretty banged up. So he could get in there at some point, but my prediction would be he only plays maybe one or two games later in the season. Yeah, he's also a guy that I could see could be one of those head scratchers that's just never activated for a game, or maybe he's just injured the entire season. I agree with you. I, there is some optimism in my mind that he could, especially the second half of the season, but I know I've said that a lot for a lot of these guys, could work his way up the depth chart, you know, maybe establish himself as that CB4, you know, uh, usurping Arthur Millette, getting some playing time, maybe forced to, to play some extended minutes in, in some games. But again, uh, I think he's a guy that might have a red shirt rookie season. I, I like his upside, um, but I think he's just had too many injuries uh, in the last year for him. Uh, and I just think that it's not necessarily that that cornerback's a huge position of strength for the Jets or anything, but I do feel like um, between uh, Desir and, and Bless and Poole, that they should be all right. Uh, and Millette, Millette, they're not amazing by any stretch, but I think that they 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 will be all right. And I think that Hall will probably be red shirting more, but. 
it wouldn't surprise me just like any of these guys, obviously these predictions aren't concrete. So I'm, you know, just trying to lean one way or the other. A lot of these guys, it could go either way on, on whether or not they make an impact or they don't play that much. Uh, with Hall, I'll go that he's pretty much redshirted this year. But again, you could swap him out with a guy like P. Ryan or Zuniga as a guy who comes on at the end of the season and, and does play some games where, again, I, I agree with you. The Bless Austin comparison is the one that immediately pops in my head um, because the similarities are so stark there. Greg Williams has made it work before us, but we'll see if he can make it work again. It'd be great if he could play um, and, and really establish himself as a guy who could compete for one of those starting spots like Bless Austin has done uh, this offseason. Uh, next, I mean, your favorite player on the entire team, Braden Mann. Michael, I'll give you your predictions. Are we going to go with anything statistically here? Are we going to go more with the storyline? Michael, your, your prediction for, for Braden Mann. I will throw some numbers out there. I think he's going to come in and be immediately elite. I definitely think he will. Just because the Jets have such a good special teams infrastructure, I mean, Lachlan Edwards and all the people who know that I was backing him up are going to crush me now because I'm saying this, but individually, he wasn't that good. His own numbers weren't great. His hang time, uh, some of his distance numbers, his ability to pin the other team inside the 10, a lot of individual stats, he wasn't good. But the Jets still had an elite punting DVOA the past two seasons because their coverage is so good, their scheme under Boyer. They've just been very consistent there. So I think they have – Uh, Because people forget punting is not just the punter. There's 10 other guys out there. um, And those guys have been playing very well the past two years under Boyer. So I think they have a great system in place. Uh, And then you put man in there. He's got very good distance. I think, you know, you're going to get that from him when you're, when the jets are punting from their own 20, from their own 10, he's going to be able to flip the field. I think, you know, he can do that. But the question is, can he avoid outkicking his coverage? Can he pin opponents inside the 10? And I think we, I think he can. We've seen reports of him, you know, being really good at pinning, showing that he can do that in practice, having really good touch pinning opponents, that he's got sort of a knuckleball spin to his punts to where he can, you know, drop them in there and let the ball bounce without going into the end zone, have it come back towards him so they can be down. So I think he's going to be really good. I think he's, uh, definitely going to live up to the hype uh, and the Jets will be a top five team in punting DVOA once again and for man himself I think he's a guy who could definitely be up there in terms of net punting average that stat doesn't tell you everything because you know it's biased towards punters on worse teams who are punting from their own territory more often because because um, if you're on a good team and if you're punting you know near the other side of the field there aren't as many yards to be had you still have a job to do, but you can't get as many net yards. So that isn't the best stat, but I could see man doing really well there because of his pure leg strength. And the fact that the jets don't have the best offense and might uh, have a lot of punts from their own side of the field, but I could see him ranking pretty high there. But most importantly, I think punting DVOA as a team is the most important stat. And I think the jets will be top five there for the, uh, I, I believe, I forget what the ranking was this past season exactly, but they've been very good there past right. couple seasons. And I think they will be top five once again. I, I think he's going to be very good. I definitely think he will. Yeah. I mean, so far, including what I'm about to say about Braden Mann, I mean, this would be one of the best draft classes ever, at least one of the most optimistic yes. draft classes ever. <laughs> um, but with Braden Mann, I agree with you. I think that they're punting DVOA is going to be uh, among the top, uh, among the top teams in the league. Uh, but with Mann, uh, I think my, my bold prediction or, or the type of season they'll have, I, I think 
the big thing I think about when I think about a Jets punter is an ill-timed shank. He's something where they're on their own 25. They need to pin the defense back deep and Lack Edwards or Ryan Quigley or whoever, uh, whichever mediocre Jets punter. I still comes get nightmares about Ryan Quigley holding <laughs> us back from the number one seed in 2015. Just his, exactly. his punts in the Patriots game, the first one they lost, and then the Bills. Well, he was hurt for that one. And then Steve Weatherford yeah. played and he was bad. But there was, especially the last Bills game, and there's one other one where Quigley is so bad, uh, and they lost partially because of that. And if the Jets had two more wins, they could have tied for the best record in the AFC that year. So Ryan Quigley is a cursed name. Well, what I was about to say is that I think Braden Mann will have zero ill-timed shanks. I think every – that's not to say he's going to have amazing punts every single of the time, uh, but I don't think he's going to have any punts um, that are – you know, under 30, 25 yards, unless he's trying to, to pin him for some reason that, uh, that short. Uh, I think he's just going to avoid the Ryan Quigley special his entire rookie season, uh, which is difficult to do as a rookie punter, I, I guess I would say, I think. But my point is I don't think he's going to let the nerves get to him. I think you're going to see that he's going to be the Jets punter for a long time. Uh, I think, yeah, his big issues are right now is out kicking the coverage. Um, he's been pretty good at coffin corner kicks. He may mess a few of those up, but I think the big thing is he's not going to have any ill-time shanks. Um, or I guess any punt shank is an ill, is an ill time shank, but I think you're going to just see him avoid that um, type of punt uh, that, that has plagued the jets at least once a year. Uh, it seems like every year since I've been a fan uh, lastly, an undrafted free agent, Michael, I'll let you choose. Uh, I think we're probably going to end up going with the same guy. Just he's the main undrafted free agent that's been making noise, but I'll let you go first undrafted free agent. What type of season, uh, if any, maybe there is no undrafted free agent that makes the team, but will they make the team? What type of season will they have? Well, I think I am going to go with a different guy than the one you're thinking of. I'm going to go with Javelin Guidry on defense, wow. cornerback from Utah. Um, he's Brian Poole, like we said earlier, has missed some time. Uh, and, and Guidry has been the number two slot corner for most of camp. He's been getting a lot of reps. Uh, Robbie Sabo's been at camp, and you know he's talked a lot about uh, in his reporting, both on Twitter and the practice reports on JetX, about the time that Guidry has been getting. So uh, I think he's going to make the team and, you know, potentially get some reps there uh, in the slot at cornerback. So uh, I'm going to, I know you're going to, who you're going to go with. He's been the most hyped undrafted free agent by far. So uh, I, I'm going with another name. Maybe he doesn't make the team. Maybe I'm overrating him a little bit, but uh, just mix it up. I will go with him, but I do think that uh, Gidry will make the team uh, and, and probably get some decent reps as a backup. That's that's a sneaky good pick right there, um, and I commend you for not going with the obvious Lawrence Cager, which I will easily take the layup. Um, yeah, for, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that just given the de- the Jets' the lack of depth at receiver, he should make the roster, barring that. Now we still have to see about the knee injury. It could be more serious than, than we anticipate, and then he could miss some time or not make the roster. But um, assuming that his knee is okay and that he only misses a few days or a week of practice, I think that he will – make the 53 and I'm not, I'm not just going to go with him making the 53. I'm going to say he's going to start at least one game for the jets um, in 2020. Uh, similar to a guy like Vincent Smith, who had to start multiple games. He started way more than just one game. I could say that he could start uh, two or three games, but I think cage is a guy that um, at the very least will start at least one game for the jets in, in 2020. We'll see if that's a good or bad thing. He has been impressing in training camp, especially in, in the red zone with those jump balls. Um, so we'll see, but I, I think not only will he make the team, but I think he'll be forced to start some games due to injury. Uh, Michael, your thoughts on, on the Lawrence Cager uh, prediction? Yeah, he was a guy who, you know, he, he's been really hyped from the start. When the Jets first signed him, uh, fans were all over his, his highlights. 
from college and I was not big on him early, mostly because of injuries. He's been, he was extremely banged up uh, throughout his career. And actually now in camp, he did uh, suffer an injury a couple of days ago. Forget what it was exactly. A but knee. Yeah, it was a knee. Yeah. And, and so he, injuries are a big question with him. So that's why I was kind of down on him. And also he wasn't very productive at all until he transferred uh, from Miami to Georgia, but um, he, he's backed it up in camp. He's been probably the most hyped player on either side of the ball. Uh, we know that doesn't always translate, actually usually doesn't from what we've seen every single year, but uh, it does mean that he will probably make the team considering uh, how thin they are at wide receiver. And uh, if they don't get healthier, whether that's with Mims, Vince, well, Vincent Smith is going to miss some time, uh, but you know, he, he has a legitimate path to get some targets early on so we'll see just exactly as you said that could be a bad thing if we have an undrafted free agent uh, getting big targets for Darnold in 2020 or it could be a good thing he could be you know a steal we'll see what happens but uh, I think he does he will make the team but uh, we'll see depending on the health of everyone else how many opportunities he gets and then what he does with them all right, so we laid out what type of season we think every Jets rookie will have in 2020. A reminder, you can follow us at Pod on Twitter. You can follow myself at Ben W. Blessington. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, in addition to JetsXFactor.com, the best place to go for Jets content. Uh, I know Michael just released the Jets X Factor um, offensive predictions. Everybody who's a part of the staff there, I imagine my predictions are better than everybody else's. But feel free to check that out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah, you were although, the only one. Though we did have some similar ones. So yours were probably second best. I, I would imagine, Michael, that my record is better than yours. Just remember <laughs> just remember who hated Jason Myers and then turn face real quickly on that. Because I remember. That, that is true. I'm, I'm, I'm a major hypocrite with the special teamers. Yeah, I know. And then you love Lack Edwards and he was trash. <laughs> Anyways, um, that'll wrap it up. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, Michael, any last words? I'm just excited for some real football. That's all. 15 days. Let's do it in Buffalo. I'm really excited uh, to finally see, uh, do have a chance at revenge for that awful, awful season opener last year. That was, that was brutal. And I'm looking forward to having a chance to avenge that. Yeah, it's pretty exciting that we're going to learn a lot about this team in 15 days. For better or for worse, I do think it'll be a close game, and I think the Jets are going to surprise a lot of people. And, and it'll be interesting, too, because usually you use the preseason to practice recognizing players by their number, the gear they wear, their body type, <laughs> things like that. But now I'm going to have to be watching the first game and figuring out how to do that. So I'm going to have no idea who anybody is probably until the fourth quarter, maybe even the, the second game. It's going to, it's going to be tough. Wow, these are the things that really matter at CRJ Pod. Um, but everybody, stay safe, stay healthy. Um, go Jets.